welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 260, Why We Hunt Seminar with Brenda Valentine from the 2019 NWTF convention. And I am your host and the guy who is finally back home from an extended vacation at the beach where much of his time was spent in the condo, sitting in front of his computer, working. The good thing about being able to work remote is that you can work from anywhere. The bad thing about being able to work remote is that you can work from anywhere and you never really get much of a vacation if you're working remotely for yourself like I can do and was doing. But hey, you're not going to hear me complain a whole lot because it was a good trip. It's always nice to be down on the Gulf Coast and it was a good change of scenery. Now today we are 149 days, 12 hours, 30 minutes, and 33 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So today I'm going to be pretty quick with my intro and outro because I have a bunch of stuff going on at the office and I'm running a little bit behind getting this episode together to get it out for you. So my intro and outro is going to be pretty quick. I've got for you guys the replay of the seminar with Brenda Valentine that she did at this year's NWTF convention in Nashville where basically she asked the question, why do we hunt? She asked the question of everyone in the audience, Give me a one-word answer. Why do you hunt? And so we've got the holidays right around the corner. I mean, we're basically a month away from Thanksgiving. And then don't blink because Christmas will be here. And don't sneeze because by the time you open your eyes after you sneeze, it'll be January 1, 2020. And of course, since the holidays are right around the corner, what does that mean? Well, hopefully it means that We're going to be spending some time in the woods, and it also means that we're going to be spending some time, probably more time than normal, around friends and family. Some of those friends and some of those family we may not want to spend time around, but we're going to end up around them anyway. And if you're like me, the topic of hunting always comes up when I'm around my friends and family. Because they all know that I love to hunt. And so, if you're also like me, you have family members and friends of family members that you're around that don't 
have that same passion for hunting and maybe don't understand why we do what we do and why you do what you do. So I want to get your wheels turning a little bit this week with the Brenda Valentine seminar, Why We Hunt. But before we jump into that, think back to the last episode of Turkey Soup that I did for you guys. I mentioned that there was an article out that gave some statistics about people's approval rating of hunters. And I read just a few little sentences from that article. But before I played the seminar with Brenda, I want to read the entire article to you. So let's jump into that and then we'll get right into the seminar with Brenda. So this article was printed in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. It was written by John Hayes and you guys can reach John at j-h-a-y-e-s at post-gazette.com. The title of the article is New Study puts the crosshairs on American attitudes about hunting. Now, before I get into this article, I want you to listen. I want you to pay close attention about who did this survey or study, who it was commissioned by, and I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as I read this article to you because, personally, I feel like these numbers that I'm going to give you guys in this article are a little bit inflated a little bit inflated but let me read this article and i'll touch on a couple of things after i read it americans haven't changed their minds about hunting in the last 25 years but their opinions have grown more nuanced days before saturday's opening of pennsylvania's early archery deer season in the region a new national survey shows that the general acceptance of legal hunting has gradually increased from 73% in 1995 to nearly 80%, the highest level ever recorded. Legal hunting, as opposed to illegal poaching, garnered varied support depending on the respondent's hometown, race, gender, and age. Approval ratings were influenced by the species being targeted and the stated reason for hunting. I'm going to read that again. Approval ratings were influenced by the species being targeted and the stated reason for hunting. The survey was conducted by Responsive Management, a research firm that has tracked public attitudes about hunting, fishing, shooting, trapping, and other wildlife-related activities since 1995. Executive Director Mark Damian Duda referenced the company's long-term trend data when determining how attitudes about hunting have changed over the years. While only about 4% of the American population hunts each year, the majority of the American public supports hunting even if they don't personally participate, Mr. Duda and Andrea Crescioni, a responsive management research associate, said in a co-written editorial in a recent edition of Conservation Frontlines. It seems counterintuitive that hunting, an activity in which so little of the population participates, and that which is no longer critical to survival would enjoy such widespread contemporary approval. Nonetheless, social science research clearly confirms this support, they wrote in the not-for-profit e-magazine, which tracks news and ethical hunting and conservation. Support among respondents who were white or Caucasian was 86.5%, Black or African American, 64.6%, and Hispanic or Latino, 
61.5%. Views categorized by race may have been influenced by prevailing hometown attitudes regarding hunting. Support in rural areas was 89.8%. Small cities or towns, 83.4%. And large cities or suburbs, 73.8%. And in an era of declining hunting license sales, the study showed a generational rift. Hunting support among ages 55 or older was 82.7 percent. 35 to 54 years, 81.8 percent. And 18 to 34, 75.7 percent. Prior to the development of farming and agriculture, the hunters in the group were primarily males who would pass the ability to survive on to the next generation by taking them hunting. Mr. Duda and Miss Crescioni wrote, Hunting today is still predominantly a male activity. 83% of hunters are male. Research also consistently shows that it takes a hunter to make a hunter, meaning almost all hunters today were initiated into hunting by another hunter, usually a father or father figure. According to the survey, hunting was supported by 86.4% of American men and 73.2% of women. People who go fishing were more likely to support hunting than those who don't. Approval among those who grew up in a family that owned firearms was 88.3%, but just 65.6% in families that didn't own a gun. American attitudes towards hunting, fishing, sports shooting, and trapping, a 2019 telephone survey of American adults was commissioned by the National Shooting Sports Foundation with the support of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The study showed that even when hunting is supported, approval is not unconditional. Support varied widely depending on why the hunter is hunting. When told the hunting was to protect humans from harm, respondents' approval was 85%. Hunting for the meat rated 84% approval. For wildlife management, 82%. To get locally sourced food, 83%. To get organic meat, 77%. And to protect property, 74%. Americans are much more likely to approve of hunting for those species traditionally hunted for food in hunter-gatherer societies, such as deer, 78%. Wild turkey, 78%, and duck, 74%. Mr. Duda and Ms. Crescioni said, However, support drops with some of the species that posed a higher threat to humans, were more difficult to kill, and were not the type of meat typically consumed. Americans seemed wary of hunters who hunt because they enjoy it. Approval of hunting for the sport was 50%. Hunting for the challenge 41%. This next paragraph is pretty interesting. Although license and landowner fees for legal trophy hunting are used to finance much of the global conservation of those species, support was the lowest for hunters who were out for a rack, a rug, or a full body mount, which only 1% of hunters reported that that was their primary motivation for hunting. Those approval ratings for hunting for a rack, a rug, or a full body mount 
was only 29%. Whether we live with or without hunting today, we seem to have an innate understanding that connects our participation in, opinions on, and attitudes toward hunting. An understanding that persists despite significant historical, societal, and environmental changes, stated Mr. Duda and Ms. Crescioni in Conservation Frontlines. It is this persistence that convinces us as social researchers that hunting is indeed a part of who we are. So my takeaways from this article are probably very similar to yours, and that is that why we hunt has a major effect on non-hunters' opinions of what we do and of hunting. And since we're going to be around those family members and friends more frequently over the next couple of months, now's the time for us to be thinking because we really know it's no one single reason that makes us enjoy hunting. It is all of those reasons. It is the fact that we're hunting for meat or hunting for a rack or that we're hunting for a rug or that we're hunting for a full body mount or that we're hunting for conservation reasons, wildlife management, crop damage. It's all of those reasons that get us up in the mornings or out of a warm house in the evenings to go sit in a tree stand or gets us up way before the crack of dawn to get us out in the woods on a cold, crisp, calm, clear, beautiful springtime morning to chase turkeys. But I think we can do ourselves a lot of good if we concentrate on the results of this study that kind of pick up on which reasons are most acceptable for a higher percentage of non-hunters, which is hunting to protect humans from harm, hunting for the meat for wildlife management, to get locally sourced food, to get organic meat, and to protect property. And then if you want to throw your real personal reason for why you hunt into the conversation, for me, that one word is connection. It's connection to nature. It's connection to the animals that I hunt. It's connection to myself. It's connection to my friends and my family that I hunt with. And it's connection to God. That's for me. It doesn't have to be for you. But when we start off a conversation with a non-hunter or someone who's neutral to hunting, and we give a reason that rates as one with high approval among people, then we can follow with our other reasons. All right, so I've given you guys something to think about. Now Brenda Valentine's going to give you some more information to think about. Listen in closely, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Uh, when they contacted me about doing seminars, and I usually do one every year, and you know, you come up with different titles, but one of the most basic things I think is why do we hunt? Is there anybody in here that can just give a one word reason of why do you hunt? Peace. Peace. That's a big one. Sadly, there's there's so many people that can talk a half a day if they have to explain it to somebody that doesn't hunt and they still aren't convincing. They don't have the words. They know in their heart why they hunt, but they can't tell anybody else. And I think that's a real handicap when it comes to explaining to non-hunters why we're out there shooting stuff. And so I, let's try to figure out to make ourselves more uh, 
I'm, I can't even come up with a word I want on that, how we can express our passion better so that we will be represented better and the non-hunters can understand us hopefully a little bit better. It has to be more than I just want to go kill a big deer. I just want to blow a turkey's head off. That doesn't cut it with me either. You have to be able to express a deeper reasoning if we're ever going to be accepted by people that don't hunt or people that just, you know, they're not really committed as anti-hunters, but they wonder. And that's been a handicap for a lot of us. I'm going to read you, uh, this is just a little short something, and it is a foreword to a book that I've had something to do with, and it's not out yet. It, it will be released uh, sometime this spring. I don't know if any of you know K.J. Houtman or not. She is a, a very famed female outdoor writer. She did the biography on J Jim Zumbo. She's written a lot of children's books and stuff. Well, K.J. is a friend, and so she's been working on this uh, nice, big, hardcover, coffee table type book about uh, why women hunt. But I'm, I'm not, I don't like to categorize it. Yes, I'm a woman and yes, I hunt. But I don't feel like I'm in a separate category as a woman hunter. I'm a hunter. Everybody in this room, I hope, are hunters. And I don't see that we have to differentiate ourselves. I just think if, you know, if you hunt, fine. It doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what age you are. You're a hunter or, or you're not. But she asked me, and I was honored, to write the uh, introduction to her book. And I'll just give you just a little bit. But <clears throat> A few Sundays ago, our preacher made a simple statement that struck a chord so hard that I immediately went digging in my purse for a pen and a scrap of paper to jot it down. There was hardly a need to write it for his words etched themselves firmly in my mind. Folks don't really care about what you do as they care about why you do it. While I sat there thinking about all the things that this applied to in life, the remainder of the sermon went unheard. This book tells the story of women who hunt, but more importantly, why. And that goes on and, and you know reveals it, it outlines probably, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 women, and they give their reasoning why in this book. But the introduction, and, that, and it starts out into that. So I won't go any more into that, but um, the one word explanations, you know, it, it's tough. So let's, let's dig into it, and at any time, if y'all have something to add or something that you'd like to bring out, jump in. This is not me preaching to you a seminar, you know, they asked me if I wanted a lot of electronics, I don't. It, I think we can all learn from each other and this is more of a group discussion. But the very first reason that I think is the most basics is Genesis 27-3. Uh, it's like food. That, that should be the, mo the most basic reason. That's the reason that hunters began hunting in the beginning was for food and uh, but sadly I think we've gotten away from a lot of that maybe we're headed back in the uh, field to fork and the organic meat movement that we have and and we are bringing in a few uh, hunters that were non hunters because they they want this organic meat but food is the very 
first reason, most basic. The big guy upstairs commanded it, so if you ever have to defend yourself, that should be it, right there, food. Everybody agree to this? You good on that? What about companionship? Yeah, you said peace, but companionship, and I, you know, I think of spouses, I think of hunting buddies, I think uh, we're probably, one of the reasons that we've lost a lot of hunters may be because they lost their companion. You know, you get uh, two old guys that's hunted together all their life, one of them dies, the other one just doesn't care anything about it anymore. And it boils down, maybe it wasn't the hunting that, that was the big attraction, it was the time spent together. And when they lose that, then it's lost the meaning of it. Maybe, what about your favorite old bird dog? I see so many people say, oh, you know, I, I hunted all my life and I enjoyed, you know, helping old Duke in the boat or, or watching Spot Point or something. And after my dog got old and I lost my dog, you know, I don't really have that desire to go anymore. It, it makes a difference. I, I just don't enjoy it after. And to me, that falls under companionship. You can have a companion, you know, it might be a, a chicken, but if it's your companion, you love it, you know. But I see spouses, I see uh, maybe women that hunt and lose their husband, and it's like, you know, it's just not the same going by myself. So a lot of people hunt for the companionship. What about the challenge? Anybody ever uh, kind of got maybe burn out a little bit on gun hunting and gone to a bow or you know the challenge of it all and we keep heightening the bar to where we challenge ourselves nobody puts that challenge to us maybe we've always uh, hunted small game and we want to challenge ourselves to uh, call in our own turkey or maybe kill a bigger buck or something I think as hunters, we are a self-challenging bunch of people. We, we don't want it to be easy. You know, if it was easy, we'd just go shoot a cow. You know, but we want, to, we want to test ourselves and see if we're up to that challenge. And I think every time that we heighten the bar with either our uh, weapon or the means of what we do it, you know, maybe we want to challenge ourselves to go to Alaska and hunt sheep. You know, it, it's daunting just to think about climbing those mountains and, and tackling something like that rather than, you know, going rabbit hunting in your back field. But it's that challenge that drives so many people and I see it every day. It's like, well, you know, I, I killed a doe this year and next year I want to kill a buck or I killed a jake this year and next year I want to try to get a full fan. And so that challenge drives a lot of people. And I, I have a little quirk about uh, people that take their kids hunting, maybe in a, a big preserve or on a famous ranch or someplace where they, they pay a lot of money and they're automatically uh, guaranteed that they're going to kill a monster deer first time. You know, the pictures look good and you know, you got these bragging rights and everything, but I truly think you're doing a disservice to your kid. I think you're shortening their hunting life. I think you're killing it for them because they have no more challenges. They're, they're at the top of the ladder. So how are they ever going to uh, have an appetite 
for a bigger challenge because they they're at the top unless they limit themselves you know with with whatever they're hunting with so I think it's good that we take kids on a squirrel hunt or a, a, you know some kind of easier hunt and let them grow as hunters into larger animals uh, hunting situations that get tougher every time and when you get to be you know my age well then it's like maybe I want to go down a little bit maybe I don't want that challenge but no but you just every time you know you kill an antelope and it's like oh wow that was cool now I'll go after an elk and so you just keep uh, raising the bar every time so challenge to me is a viable answer when people ask you for a one-word reason of why you hunt We've got food, we've got companionship, and the challenge. Anybody got another one you want to add in? One word. You can only have one word. Connection. Connection. Those are all good words. And 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 very true, you know. But what about conservation? Hmm? Balance. balance, the money in it. No balancing out the herd or flock. That's conservation. Yeah. Well, yeah. conservation uh, right now it's generating well the money that goes into it. We are the only group that pays for our own, and I I just never want to call hunting a sport. To me, sports are things that are played with balls, and uh, other than BBs in a shotgun or something. I don't. I I have no balls in my arsenal on this. It's all, you know, hockey and football and baseball are sports. To me, hunting is much deeper and more serious than that. You know, people don't pay money to come in and watch us do what we do, but we fund our own way of life. The the things that we hold dear is paid for by the hunters. That the money for our licenses and you know goes into our hiring game wardens, hiring somebody to monitor uh, monitor us. But conservation is a real reason. People ask me, they'll say, "Well, you know, I've got a new grandkid. What should I buy?" One of our board members asked me this a couple of years ago. He says, "Oh, I got my first grandchild." Said, uh, "What what does a new grandfather get?" And I said, "You buy that kid a lifetime hunting license." And I said, "And your lifetime. I mean, that will last that kid a lot longer than you will. You can buy him a tricycle or a shotgun or whatever you want to, but the first gift to me should be a lifetime hunting license for that kid. You're putting back into conservation and you're setting that kid up for an entire life of the tradition that we all enjoy. So, to me, conservation, it may not be up there with food, but it's up there because we're the ones that make a difference. Without hunting, there'd be no wildlife, and without wildlife, there'd be no hunting. So you know that you are ensuring our future when you're uh, donating or committing to be a conservationist. It is, it's about the balance, but you know, we don't actually set that. that those are game laws that are, that are set. We just help carry out the laws on that. Well, it's sort of self-sustaining because somebody goes back into the habitat 
That's right. To improve it. That's right. And we mean more turkey calls and more camo clothes and all that tax money goes right back in to fund so we'll have more wildlife so we can do that. What about a rite of passage? Do any of you remember your first turkey? Do you remember your first deer or your first fish? Ten years to get my first deer. See there? Ten years because they weren't very plentiful back then. Right. Yeah. But that that is well, a landmark in your life, isn't it? She was a little dough, but I was proud. Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we're not into trophies here, but, uh, but that's, a, that's a milestone in your life was that first deer because you tried for ten years. But... I see it as a rite of passage every day, and maybe not as much now as it has been in uh, back in further times, but I've spent quite a bit of time in Africa, and it's a huge thing there uh, for a, a young man to take a, a lion. You know, he can't even marry in Zimbabwe until he takes his own lion. I have some spears at home where a young man has to build his own spear, hammer it out, find the exact piece of wood and, and burn it and char it and smooth it out to make the handle. And on one end is a, a round spike that will stick in the ground. The other end is a blade about this long. They're you know, six foot tall or more. And when this man, uh, this young man figures out the wife that he wants to take, then he must kill the lion himself. And the older people in the village, the older men, can help him. You know, they can go around and herd him up and use their shields, but they can't touch the lion. They can only, uh, you know, haze him a little bit for him. And so he has to do this. But I get that. That is his rite of passage. And it also ensures that he's able to take care of a wife. So, you know, if I was getting a new son-in-law, you know, get out here and kill me a lion, dude, or you ain't getting my daughter uh, so that I know that you can take care of her. But it still is. There's probably a, not a, a kid on that floor down there that can't tell you in, in detailed description the very first turkey they killed or the very first deer. And that is their rite of passage. You know, up until they actually do that, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna be a hunter someday, or my daddy's a hunter, or I'd like to go hunting. But once they actually do it, that is the milestone in their life. So that, and most of the time, thankfully, they become lifetime hunters if it was a good experience. What about recreational? Anybody just hunt for the recreation of it? And I don't mean shooting stuff, I mean hunt. It is, it, you know, I, I tell people, I hunt 360 days a year. There's probably five of them at the convention, but I'm only shooting just a few days of that during season, but the rest of the year, I hunt year round. I'm scouting, I'm looking, I'm, I'm working on habitat. It, the year round is hunting season for me. There's just about a month that's shooting season, so, just you know you can say you're you're hunting but that doesn't mean you have to bring something home you're bringing home knowledge you're bringing home memories but i think it's very very recreational i see this as a family time i see that's when you know you spend time walking in the woods my husband and i have squirrel dogs and um, 
this winter, after deer season was over, we spent quite a bit of time running puppies. Just, you know, we don't care if we're killing any squirrels or not, but it's that companionship of the dogs and it's the exercise of walking up and down those hills and the companionship of being together and the recreational aspect of uh, just enjoying watching these young dogs learn how to be uh, hunting dogs. So you know, it, it's a huge recreation for us. We, we just love going. For me, it was quality time with my dad away from the job. Just that companionship. Walk, just the two of us, and I just sit on the bank and watch the fly pitch. Mm -hmm. The first time I picked up a fly rod, that's that that one more thing. So we've got all these headings that we'll go down to, and uh, but yeah, that companionship, um, therapeutic. You know, actually, in um, some of the Asian countries, doctors write prescriptions for tree time, it's called. And, and you're supposed to go sit under a tree or walk under a tree and supposedly you're de-stressed, you're healthier. I believe it. You know, I'm not into a bunch of zen and, and hocus pocus stuff, but I know I feel better when I'm outside and I'm walking in trees or, or maybe not the mud we've had here lately, but it, it feels good, it cleanses me, it, it settles me. And even in this hotel, if you're down on that floor and people are just everywhere, walk out here in one of these gardens and just be still a minute and let that greenery around you soak in. It'll immediately calm you and, and make your clear your head and make you feel better. So we have a good mix of that. But I definitely think hunting is therapeutic. I mean, I, this lady while ago said peace, and it is. The most calming thing for me is to sit in a tree stand. You know, I'm a few feet off the ground, and I just feel in control of me then. I can talk to me, I can figure things out, my head clears, I come up with ideas, and so to me, it, it is very therapeutic. Do you think any of us are just hardwired? Maybe genetic is the one word here. Do you ever feel like there's something inside of you that says you need to go hunting? Or maybe about September when the leaves start turning and the air starts crisping up that you feel like, wow, I just can't wait for deer season. Or maybe about now. And with this convention aside, I think half the people down there are hardwired. They come here because they're hungry to hear those turkey calls going. You know, some of them come for other reasons, but let me tell you, there are thousands of people down there that this is their fix because they're anxious for turkey season. They're just dying to, for it to hurry up and open, and this is as close as they can get to actually being in the woods and hearing a turkey gobble. That's the that's the big question in recruitment. Can we recruit those people? And we're starting to talk more kids now that aren't hardwired. And and why are they hardwired? And I, I refuse to give up to say that if they're not hardwired we can't make money. And I think you become hardwired after you experience it. Yeah, because I wasn't a big game hunter until I started hunting turkeys and it's like 
said in the woods is pretty cool. Having animals walk by is pretty cool. I was a chaser, I was a bird hunter. But you were a hunter. I was a hunter, I was a yeah. hunter and fisherman. But I, I, re, I refuse to give up on that because if we give up on that, I mean, it's good to identify those people. I mean, we mm -hmm. identify young kids that are hardwired and we know that we don't have to spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. But then identifying the kids that maybe they're not hardwired and how do we get them there is a big challenge. That's an interesting aspect of it because I've always felt, I have two sisters that have been, um, you know, had the opportunities to hunt. We grew up hunting. And neither one of them give a flip about it now. It's like, man, you know, what's wrong with you? And I felt like it was like having a, a litter of lab puppies. You know, you're going to have three out of the litter that's going to jump in and go to hunting, and you're going to have three that wants to lay on the porch all their life. You know, so I've, I've always felt like that uh, some of us was genetically inclined to be hunters and others wasn't. But I do like the angle that you're going in because I hope that you're right. I hope that we can hardwire those that aren't. Uh, my theory on it is that when um, God created the earth, you know, after uh, on the eighth day he says, you know, well we need doctors and we need teachers and we need builders and, and everybody stood in line and got a gift. And, uh, and like some of the, the jokes say, and, and at the end he says, and we need somebody to feed all these folks, so I guess we'll make a hunter. And I felt like I was at the end of the line, and he said, here, Brenda, you go kill stuff and feed these folks. And I felt like there was a bunch of other people that might have been in that same line. And, but I'm not sure about this. You know, I don't know if it's environmental, that the way we're raised, or maybe the context that you have now, but I've always felt this this need to be in the woods and to match my skills against whatever. You know, it, it just might be you know, the smallest of game, but I don't know. What what's somebody else's feeling on this? Do you think that that you're born with a, a genetic inclination to want to hunt? Yeah. I think, you know, when I think about why I hunt, yeah. I think it's what makes us all human. And to your point, I think that whether we call it hardwired or not, I think we all are predisposed as hunters. We're hunter-gatherers. As human beings, that's what we are. But I think what makes some of us hunters is the exposure. If you're not exposed to it, you don't realize that you are a hunter. And so, to your point, that's what we're here to do. And when we talk about mentoring and whatnot, that's what we're here to do. And our, we're going to take that gift that we've all been given to try to help others discover their path as hunters. I agree. I think there's a lot of people that have the gift and it's never been discovered. And I think the greatest, well, maybe kids on that now, but I always felt like women, there were so many women hunters out there, but they had never been given the opportunity and they didn't know it, that it was buried deep within them. And once they had that opportunity, they just came alive and they thought, oh, this is, this is me. This is me. One reason that I'm here is because I do, I am a hunter. I have a hunter's heart. What about protection? Anybody hunt for protection? Probably not right here, but in many parts of the world it is. What about our predator hunting? Maybe you're not protecting yourself. Maybe you're protecting um, turkey nesting. What about from coyotes? 
What about possums, you know, skunks? Right. You know, there, there's so many things that, that protection goes under it. It's not that I feel in danger for my life, although I have hunted uh, mountain lion in places where um, that they did need to be taken out because they were threatening to kids and stuff in some uh, little small settlements and stuff. So they're, you know, it, and you know, recently we've had more of these bear attacks and bear killings, and um, not just not just grizzlies, some of the black bear stuff. So when we had one over here in the Smoky Mountains, although I do think now that they've determined that that fellow died and and the bears eating, so you know that whether that's true or whether it's not true, what if it was just a camper laying there asleep and the bear thought he was dead or something? But anyway, uh, hunting for protection has kind of been dismissed in the last several years, but maybe I'm protecting the young deer on my farm. Maybe I'm protecting those nesting hens. So I, I go into hunting predators. I trap uh, usually in after deer season, just trying to thin out the population of raccoons and possums and things that are on the farm that I know are going to be a huge threat to the the turkey hatch that year. And so, yeah, protection I believe is still a viable word, especially if you're trapping. Yes. Yeah. I told her. I think all of us hunt to protect our heritage. That is the best protection of all, isn't it? Exactly. And that's what we have to tell people. That's why I hunt, because I want my son, my grandkids down the road to do that. And we all do that together. And we don't. We're great at what we do at the end of each other. We just don't tell it like we should. So, to your words, I'm hunting right now and teaching people to hunt to protect our heritage. Exactly. That's part of this and mentoring plan. It's not a bear come down my door, but I, I want this to go further than that. Well, I think surely all of you have seen some of the posts we've done or some of the signage outside about taking this mentoring pledge, and it's it's simple. You just promise to take at least one new person this year. You know, whether it's a friend, a neighbor, somebody that has gotten out of hunting that needs to get back in. But if every one of us took one person this year, think what an impact that would make. And the NWTF now has a written pledge. You can go on <clears throat> their website and do it right then. We had some, uh, some pledge papers here at convention somewhere, but it's just easier. You can do it on your phone. You can do it, you know, whatever. But go in and pledge and do it. I've already signed up one, and I may have done two. I do a bunch every year, but I mean, these are dedicated, I pledge I'm gonna take you this year. So how hard is that? Everyone, you don't have to be the best hunter in the world to take somebody. Just go sit down with them and enjoy the experience with them. Brenda, if, uh, I've got some forms and buttons if, if anybody wants to sign that pledge. Uh, but like you said, you can also go online and do it. Uh, but another big thing is we talk a lot about telling our story and we say a lot about telling our story and, and we try to do that in the magazines and, and our PR uh, through you and, and Michael and we try to do it as best as we can. But a big part of that, instead of just telling our story, we need to invite people into our story. And that's part of that pledge 
is here's our story, but come join us. Let us show you and introduce you to that. For you people that don't realize, this is Matt Stewart. He is the editor of Turkey Country Magazine. So I'm, I'm honored that he's sitting back there and wants to listen. So that's the reason for this seminar, so that you can explain yourself, express yourself better of why we hunt, because we're all the ambassadors of, of our passion. And if we can't tell somebody, then how can we expect them to appreciate what we do? So I'm trying to give you one word bullet points to where you can go out there and make sense to the person that says, man, I don't get it. Why do you go out there and shoot them turkeys in the head for? You know, and, and, and they're serious. They don't get it. So I want you to leave here armed with reasons that you can give them without having to dig and search and scratch your head and stumble around. Say, I do it for the food. I do it for the companionship. I do it for the, the future of hunting. You know, I do it for many reasons. And whichever reason seems to suit you the best, you carry that reason in your hip pocket so you can pull it out fast whenever you need it. And, and explain that when you are mentoring, when you take somebody out there, you know, explain to them, hey, you know, we hope we kill a turkey, but isn't that a gorgeous sunrise? And just be still and just feel the peace because in today's world, you know, get off your phone a minute. Hopefully we're somewhere where there's no signal. Just, just sit here a little while and just enjoy what we have. I tell people often that, um, you know, I want to give you a proposition. Just imagine that somebody walked up to you and offered you a brand new home. Beautiful, prettiest home you've ever seen. It was fully furnished, had a refrigerator that was full of food, had a pantry that was full of food, just, just the best situation you've ever seen. And it's free. You could live there. You could um, raise your family there. The only stipulation is you got to take care of it. You can't just let the yard grow up and you know the roof blow off. You have to pay taxes on it. You got to keep it up, and you can never deplete the pantry. You know, if you take food out of it, you got to put food back in there. Mm -hmm. But it's yours as long as you take care of it, and you can pass it on to your kids. They can live there. So would you take this deal? Anybody in for that deal? You like a free house, like full pantry? Yes, you, you take this deal. In a minute. <laughs> Actually, we have all been offered this deal. There's so many of us that don't realize it, but the outdoors is the most beautiful home we could ever want. And that pantry stays full because we don't eat it, everything out of it. We, put, we take from it and we put back. We take from it and we put back. We have to keep it up. You know, we have to maintain it and take care of it just like it was our home because it's been given to us free. All we gotta do is take care of it and keep it fit to pass on to the next generations. So when you're outdoors, you think about this. You think, okay, this, this is a, a beautiful mansion that was given to me all I got to do is take care of it, not deplete the food supply, and it'll be here for my grandkids. Think of it in those terms. It'll make you want to take care of a place 
better. Whether it's yours, whether it's public land, whether it's a lease, whether it's your neighbor's backfield that lets you walk across it, walk your dog, go hunting or whatever, a park. It's all of us. I told y'all, let, let me finish that. The next time you drive down the road and see a field of deer or hear a flock of geese honking overhead, <clears throat> you should thank a hunter. And this is, you all are hunters, but people that don't hunt, you tell them this. When you, when you drive down that field, or down the road, and you see those deer out in that field, or you see those turkeys all fanned up, they better be thanking a hunter because we are the ones that are responsible for making sure that we still have it. And, you know, I, I hear so many of them says, well, leave them alone, you know, they'll, they'll take care of themselves and everything. That is not right. It, there has to be some monitoring of that. And thankfully, good hunters are self-monitoring. You know, we abide by the laws, we buy our license, and we do the best we can to take care of this. That is what the NWTF is about is maintaining the turkey flocks, teaching our kids, the, the whole gamut of, of conservation. I guess that's the big word that covers it all, is um, keeping the wildlife, taking care of that big house that was prom promised, and making sure that it's there for the next generation. Those of you that follow me on Facebook, have seen some posts that I've been posting about having a special guest at this. And and if you have any questions, now's the time to answer because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up for a few minutes. But this past spring I was at the um, Archery Trade Association show in Louisville and I met this lady and she just impressed me so much. And it most people would think it was because I'm from Tennessee and the blue tick hound is a, the Tennessee dog. Anybody that knows the Tennessee balls, you know, they have Smokey the blue tick hound. And I grew up coon hunting. We, were, we had blue ticks and red bones when I was a kid. And uh, so I've had a partiality. We don't coon hunt much anymore. We, we just have these mountain pie squirrel dogs. But uh, I invited Dixie to come up here and she, she just is very remarkably well-trained and smart. And her name is called Dixie the Praying Dog. She has a Facebook page. You can go in and like her. Um, you know, I have, I follow a lot of her stuff. So without that, bring Dixie up here and let everybody. When I talked about hunting for companionship, I don't think you could find a better companion or someone to represent hunting. Okay, then you talk. Thanks. My name is Brian Calvert, and this is uh, this is Dixie. Dixie's a three-year-old blue tip coonhound, and uh, Dixie's story starts starts about six years ago. I had a house fire, and I had three dogs. One was a one was a bird hunting dog, and the other two had kind of a coonhound mixed to them. And I lost those dogs in the fire. They absolutely love people, love kids, and I thought if I could ever get a chance to uh, ever have mentally be ready to have another dog. I wanted to dedicate that dog to giving back to people, and uh, where's she at? She's so that's that's kind of that's kind of what we do. We uh, I got her with with that mindset. Uh, I wanted to help veterans. I wanted to help kids. I wanted to, I wanted the therapy dog basically. Then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I love to hunt. I could also help hunters. So I've trained Dixie to to be a deer recovery dog. So 
when a hunter shoots a deer and they lose the blood trail. In Indiana, most 90% of the time, I'm the, I'm the guy getting the phone call. And I've got other guys that do the same thing in the state, in different parts of the area, so I can kind of dispatch dispatch those guys out to help these hunters out, to help, to help find that deer. Help give that hunter a peace of mind if the deer's still alive, you know, they're thinking this deer's laying out there wounded somewhere. So Dixie, Dixie's whole purpose is to help people. And uh, we, we travel around to these hunting expos and just that's how we met Brenda, you know, just doing, just doing meet and greets with folks. And I've taught her to pray. I, I have her pray for people. And I had a minister tell me yesterday that Dixie's a, she's a walking minister. You know, she's, I bet Dixie's prayed for a couple hundred thousand people. She's definitely probably the most photographed blue tick coon hound in the world for sure. But uh, like I said, Dixie's whole purpose is to help people. And we, we go to these expos, we go to kids camps and we give seminars about this stuff. Uh, Another aspect of my life, I had a tree stand fall six years ago. I don't think I told Brenda this story, but I nearly died in a tree stand fall. My mistake, lunchtime, just going to go cut a limb down, didn't wear a harness. I was going to climb up this tree, cut that limb down, and, and be out. I climbed up that tree and, and made a wrong move and fell and broke all my ribs, collapsed the lung, and all, and all that time. I mean, I was in pretty bad shape. I was in a hospital, first hour, I had my sister take pictures of us. Why do you want pictures of you in a hospital with all these tubes in you? So I'm going to help somebody with this situation. So that's how I've kind of ran my life. The bad stuff I've had helping me, I want to help people. So now we go to hunter ed classes, and I show the kids these photos. And I, I, mean, I scare them. That's what, that's what it takes with some of these kids is to, is to show them what can happen if they, if they don't do, they don't wear a harness and that type of stuff. But then when we get through that point of it, I bring Dixie in. And we talk about how you how you can hunt with a hound, how you can track with a hound, how how you can teach a hound to shed hunt, and just the 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 great asset a hound, a good hound is to us as hunters. Not only finding a wounded game, but helping us hunt up, kill a squirrel like Brenda does, or or rabbit hunting, or anything like that. So that that's Dixie's purpose in life is is to help people, and and it's it's just great that I can include the outdoors into that, you know, and. Brenda asked her whole seminars, why do we hunt, you know? I'm kind of going backwards a little bit. I love to deer hunt, but I love to track deer with Dixie, and I love spending time with Dixie. So that's taken away my deer hunting. I bet I deer hunted a handful of times this year because I've spent more time tracking deer. So that's just what I love to do. I love to help people. She loves to help people, and I think that's why she was put in my life, was is to help people. So, would you guys like to see Dixie pray? <laughs> Come here, Dixie. She's always looking for, for something to eat. So. Well, that's, that's the cool Dixie, Dixie, pray. Dixie, pray. Dixie, pray. Oh. <laughs> and you got to notice this flower on her collar with the rhinestones. And yeah. she, she's a girly girl. Amen. All right, Dixie, sit. Dixie, sit. Dixie, sit. I didn't get asked a question. Do you like do you like the National Wide Turkey Federation? Yes. You love NWT? Yes. You love Brad? Yes. Dixie and I have bonded right off the bat. Could you get it to Brad again so I could get a picture yeah. of her? Y'all get it up. As long as you're around. Come here. 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 Come me and her both got down and we yeah. Well, <laughs> 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 
She has a pretty good following on Facebook, so that's another outlet for me to be able to share with other hunters. Even, even, even non I have a lot of a lot of people that just love dogs that want to follow her, so I can share. I can share the, what yeah, she does. Touch people that way that maybe don't know. I can reach people that that we can as hunters through her. So she's a big asset to to our way of life, but turkey hunting, and deer hunting, and. Just all around, she brings that. People ask her, "What does she do?" Well, she tracks deer. Well, what's involved with that? You know, so I can explain that to my hunters. So what I do, yeah, and then they appreciate that. You know, yeah, most, most of the hunting recovery dogs I know of are the smaller. A lot of guys have wire hair dots and walk away. And, and the reason <laughs> being, they're good trackers, first of all. But in most states, they've got to be on a leash. I don't know, I use a 25 foot leash. And right now I've got every tendon and muscle in my underarm is torn from tracking this year. But a lot of guys use wire hair dots because you can, the reason to handle, you can lift them up over a fence because we cross a lot of fences when we're doing tracks. And, uh, so in your state, do you have to have them on a leash? Most states, there's only like three states that that they've got to be. Right. And the organization I, that that I found that that pushes for the legislation to pass in all the states. But it's illegal in some states to track a wounded deer with a dog. Because it's just, it, and it, it goes back to education. We need to educate these states, and United Blood Trackers is one of the main groups that's getting these legislations passed in these states. So if you're in a state, like right now, Iowa and Minnesota do not allow recovering a wounded deer with a dog. And that's just, it blows my mind that they don't, it's not allowed. So, we just got, Pennsylvania just got passed within the last two years and so did Oklahoma. And a state like Iowa that's known for deer hunting, it just blows my mind that they won't allow this. And it's, it's education. People think that you're going to be out there running all over the woods chasing deer with a dog, and that's not the case. We're recovering a wounded deer on a leash with a dog. It's not, we're not running running deer everywhere, so. I know of four trackers hey, up in Maine where I'm from. Yeah. They all lay all on the docks. Right. Yeah. But I've never paid attention because I've been out on one of these recoveries whether they had to keep them on the ice. Yeah, everywhere well, thought they would just be yeah. allowed to. Yeah. If you know what the Maine woods look like, <laughs> you might as well just let them run. You know? And this is what she does too. I mean, there's times she'll just drop and pray on her own. And sometimes if we're doing stuff with veterans, I tell folks, she can, she can smell two things for sure. She can smell a deer and she can smell a veteran. I don't know what it is about this dog, but she finds a veteran and she'll drop and pray with him and go to him. It's amazing. And, and folks, she and went crazy this morning at the veterans break. We, we walked through and went to meet Sammy Davis because he lives in a town about 30 minutes south of here. He was awesome. I and was great. and this, that's a funny story, too. Out of all these people that's there, this is how this works out with her. All these people that's there waiting to get in. Sammy's wife came up and was petting Dixie, and I seen her name tag. I said, you're not Sammy's wife, are you? She's just like, I told her who we were, and I told her I would like to get a picture. She, she went and got Sammy and brought Sammy out, and we got that photo. After two years of looking for a picture with Sammy, mm -hmm. I got it here because of Chance. Mm -hmm. She came to pet Dixie. For those of you that was not at the veterans breakfast this morning, I encourage you next year, to me, that is the highlight of the entire convention. Is that veterans right here? It is awesome. But this morning, our speaker told of his uh, time in Vietnam being in the foxhole and mud and everything. And, and he learned how to play a harmonica. Didn't know his mother's anymore. 
And he, he kind of, he just kept, you know, spitting and blowing until he finally got this harmonica master, his, uh, his commanding officer wanted him to be able to play Shenandoah because it brought back memories of home and, and a better place. And he got to where he could play Shenandoah and he played it. He said most of the time he was on night duty and they would be in foxholes and he said, I would play it and it would calm all the troops and those rice paddies. He said they, they would got to, he said, I just play it over and over and over. And um, so he played it for us this morning on stage, just you know, by himself. And that's a haunting song anyway. And I mean, hair will just chill bumps him, <laughs> tears. It, it is a very emotional thing, if you know it was great. I, uh, I recorded it too, and I posted it. I think I've got it on Instagram. I may have it on Facebook now. So if anybody wants to hear this, it, oh, it is so good. And he said that when they dedicated the Vietnam Wall in Washington, they, it was supposed to open the next day, I think at 9 o'clock. Well, all of them had gathered there. I guess they spent the night with it. He said about 2.30 in the morning, he found his commanding officer, and he was you know, rubbing his name. And he said he pulled his harmonica out of my pocket. He said, if I'm ever in uniform, I will always have my harmonica. And he pulled out the one that his mother had sent him all these years, 50 years ago, and he started playing Shenandoah. And he said, there it was, 2, 2.30 in the morning, and there might have been just a handful of people, less than 10, I think he said, that was there at that morning, that time. And he said, when he looked up, there was hundreds that had gathered up just to... Uh, because they heard that, that sound and they, they was there waiting for the morning, but they, they come in. And when you hear him, you'll understand why. I mean, it would be like if you was in a foreign land and then the danger and the world had just gone to hell and every way you knew and somebody played this song, it would be the most calming, peaceful thing you'd ever heard. Can anybody give me a one word reason why they hunt now? If I walk up to you and say, why in the world would you want to kill a bear? What would you say? Food. Food. Just go back to that. that I mean, that, that's the number one basic. Well, I think there's a word that kind of encompasses all of those. So okay. we're talking about is lifestyle. You know, it, it's kind of hunting some kind of a lifestyle for a lot of people. Yeah, but not um, everybody will, will accept our lifestyle. Yeah. They have yeah. to know why it's our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, it, and it's not... You know, they people don't care what we do, it's why we do it. I wish I didn't like to eat. Well, that's, that's the food. Yeah. <laughs> I like to eat too. That's I got that to eat. Trying to balance, keep but, everything balanced, you know. And that cuts it with some people when they hear that. A lot of non hunters don't believe it. Until it happens in the state park in their area, and then they see it firsthand. That's true. But, you know, I find a lot of them are skeptical and, and they don't really want to believe us and so we have to have a definite head on, can't argue with this reason whenever, yes? Renee, it goes to everything I've been listening to this week as far as seminars and all that stuff. I hunt because that's what I always did as a kid, it was my family, but we got to go past that now. I don't know. That's why. So got to dig deep. And so the, so the answer, <coughs> excuse me, 
I guess the answer is because watching the woods come alive in the morning. It's not all about the kill. And that's what we have to teach people. <clears throat> it's just not about killing or harvesting, whatever you want, whatever work you want. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't like harvesting. I don't, I don't like it I, you'll never see I me somebody. talk about harvesting anything. You know, I, I'm, I'm a farm woman, and to me, harvesting means there's a combine involved. I don't see ever. I don't see never a deer head or never a turkey header on our combine. We combine corn and beans, so I don't do harvest. I think that's kind of soft soap right. a little bit. But if y'all use harvest, that's your choice. You know, if you say, "Well, I harvested five turkeys this spring." I'm tickled to death for you, but I'm going to say I shot five. So you know, but I'm trying going to try to be maybe not hardcore among somebody that I feel like it's going to offend. I don't want to turn them off first thing, but I want them to make sure that I didn't eat it while it was still running. You know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to kill it and I'm going to eat it. I didn't harvest it just because it was there. You know, there you have to. I believe in, in being direct about it and not trying to skip around and tiptoe around them. I want them to understand, yes, there was some shooting involved, and yes, there was a casualty, and yes, we took it to the house. You know, so, but, um, but yes. Yeah. Uh, can we back up a little? Uh, two things. The, the woman's name that was writing the book, what's her last name? K.J. That's her pen name. K.J. Houtman. H. O-U-T-M-A-N. H-O. You can Google her, because I did yesterday. Did you? H-O-U-T-M-A-N. T-M-A-N. Uh-huh. And then you made a statement earlier I think it's Wild River Press. I think it's when you're right. Yes. But it's not out yet. But we've been, I've been going through a lot of the final edits, and it's almost, it won't be long. You made a statement in the beginning that we're all hunters period, just a generic that we're all, that's what we should look at because we're just all hunters. Yeah. Well, maybe I was just talking about this room, but, uh, but somebody, yeah. But when we're trying to promote hunting, um, we compartmentalize still women, youth. Oh, yeah. Uh, now the 20 to 30, you know, we're, that R3 thing, we're going after the, that age group or that cohort. So is that... Is that still the right thing to compartmentalize like that when you're trying to promote hunting? I don't. I I, I don't we, like we do the it, right? we I, do. I know we do, but it doesn't make yeah. to me it's it's a separation, which I don't like separating between bow hunters, gun hunters, duck hunters, turkey hunters. It, to me, we hunt. And this putting everybody in compartments. I feel like it weakens us. I think we need to all be banded together as hunters, trappers, fishermen, uh, all of us. I feel like if we don't tighten our tighten our boundaries and make us, you know, all one, that uh, it's interesting. But that's how we're going. There's a lot of influence. Well, it's not like identity politics, you know, separating like everybody into okay, these little groups. Okay, the women hunters are over here, yeah. and the men hunters are here, and the kid hunters are over you here. You can take that a step further the to the bow hunters, traditional hunters, bow hunters, and, and crossbow oh, hunters. So That's where the rift is now. Yeah. Yeah. Why are they all fighting with each other? Everybody puts down our trappers. You know, I, I think they're just as legitimate as any of us in this room. Um, I, I just, 
I don't like anybody within our ranks getting the black eye on this. It's an interesting uh, balance to try and walk because we are doing it because there are certain segments of the population that we're targeting to get out in the, in the woods and out in the field. Well, the part, of, part of that is, is a strategy. I, mean, in, I, I come from the West and we're under attack, especially in Arizona. Oh. And we're really under attack. What if he's in California? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a problem. Yeah. But the compartmentalism is, is a strategy, and you know, it's a strategy of where to put our efforts to get the bang for the buck. We're talking about spending dollars and spending time. And we're looking at markets, and, and I, I can tell you from 10 years of running the camp that um, we'll have mothers come in with their sons and just be in the camp. And if we, we turn the switch on for her, We've got the family. We've got the family because that's the biggest influence in the family is, is the mother. And, and you'd be surprised when that. We turn some of those switches on, and I see that woman a year later, and, and she's shooting trap, and she's fishing, and she's doing everything because they just they find a purpose uh, that was was hidden in, my, in themselves, and and they become huge advocates with, with huge passions. But I, I get what Brenda's saying, but, but in, when we talk about it, it's because it's a strategy. Right, and, and I, I agree of trying to recruit in different areas, and this is not as much about recruiting as it is identifying who we are and what we do and, and sticking together. But yeah, I think targeting kids is wonderful. I think targeting women, if, if that's what we're going into, but, and we have to tell them why they hunt or why we hunt. But once we're, once they are hunters, they don't need a compartment. They need to be part of our family. They need to be a member of the group as an equal. It's not like, oh yeah, you're a, you're a sissy hunter over here. You need to be wearing pink. Well, you're a hunter. You're one of us. That's, Come on that's in. That's the sister. difference then. It's like once you get them through the door, so yeah. to speak, then yeah, this we're all one thing. big collective. Exactly. And there's no we categories anymore. We need to be. But we definitely yeah. need different strategies for different recruitment. Tell them, tell them about Henry County Sheriff's Department what they do here for the, for the community. Okay. Um, this is a, a program, and I've not been uh, introduced to one any better anywhere. This is my husband. And our local sheriff, which is a kid that I took hunting when he was a kid. I, I cut his hair when he was a little kid, and his dad didn't hunt, his mom didn't hunt, he wanted to hunt. And he's been two or three term sheriff in our county now, one of the best we ever had. But he saw this need for, we have a heavy population of deer in our county. And the farmers were raising kind of getting all these deprivation tags where they could go out and shoot a hundred deer in a field. But the law says you cannot pick those deer up. You have to shoot them and leave them lay. Which to me is the greatest disgrace there is. And it's usually done in the summertime, but the farmers were losing money on it. So um, there had to be some kind of answer to this whole situation. The hunters, you know, we're all wanting to hunt. We're wanting opportunity to get out there and, and fill our tags and, and do more stuff. 
So he came up with this idea of inviting the hunters in our county that had extra game. I mean, if you put three deer in the freezer, what are you going to Well, I'll put back up. In our county, we can kill three doe a day for 100 days. So we're pretty liberal there. I don't think that does that. That's a lot of deer. Nobody thinks that many deer. We, yeah, so, so we're talking, huh? Yeah, we grow. <laughs> well, I mean, this is growing. I'm telling you, because we had an explosion. At one time, we could kill a lot of bucks, so we got uh, our balance got way off kilter here. So, you know, that's a lot of tags. And maybe you want to take a young girl hunting and let her shoot some does and 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 get that experience and you know just whatever. So, or maybe you own the land and you just need to call out some mouths that are eating your crops up. So he took um, some of the trustees, the inmates in jail that were for nonviolent crimes, and most of them are just old country boys that's been skinning deer and cutting meat growing up in this kind of situation, in, in this uh, environment, and got a little old portable shed donated, and they put screen wire in it, and this one donated a used freezer, and this one donated three or four butcher knives. And so any deer that you did not want, you brought it in, and the inmates immediately took it over. There's a law that says they cannot serve wild game in the jails or the schools now. So the inmates can't eat it, but, but they can skin it. And those skin, the hides, they even found a, a, something good with them. They're salted, they're put in a refrigerator truck, and at the end of season, they're all donated to a tannery that donates it to our local via, uh, veterans hospital, which I guess the VA hospital, the closest one we have is here in Nashville, but that leather out of those hides are made into anything, belts, vests, whatever, and, um, and all the money goes to the VA hospital. But those are all the hides that are accumulated during the season. The meat, which we're talking several hundred deer come in. And all of that is skinned and ground and packed in two pound bags. After the season is over, there's an ad running in our local newspaper. Free deer meat Saturday morning at seven o'clock. At four o'clock, there's a line from the jail all the way across town. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to be on food stamps. You don't have to do nothing but just want good fresh deer meat. And so it's given away, free and clear. At our church, we have a wild game dinner and we usually feed over 600 people. And so a lot of that meat comes in there. Now they've expanded. And if you kill a bunch of ducks and you just don't want to clean your ducks, you take them down to the jail and drop them down. And they've got, they got a freezer of ducks, squirrel, turkey, any kind of wild game meat. So you, you take it in. I've done four TV shows on this program trying to get the word out because it could work anywhere. This should be all across the country. I mean, there's no charge for it. You just drive up with a trailer. And if you've got one or if you've got six deer, they're unloading them, they're skinning them out. And the inmates, they're the real winners, I guess, because they love it. They said it gets us out of jail. It puts us in contact with people and we feel useful. I'm not, we've been doing this for about five years now. And I always go in and talk to those guys. And they said, 
this is the best thing. All winter, we've got a coffee pot out here. We talk to all the people bringing beer in. It gives us a purpose. It gives us a job, and then we get to hand it out. So, female inmates, I have not seen any, and we do have female inmates there, and I don't know if any of them want to, but you have to be a trustee, you know, because you're standing there with butcher knife, and you've got somebody coming in, unloading deer, and, you know, I've never... I've gone by myself a lot of times. We've gone, we've taken our granddaughter with us. Never have I ever had anything but total so, utmost respect when I go in there and say, oh, Miss Brunner, is that a big one you are? Or this is good? Whatever. I did catch them this year pulling a few of those little tenderloins out and they had an electric skillet in there in the little shed and they said, you know, everybody gets gone and said, we got some flour and grease and we're frying up these tenderloins. I said, boy, we got... If you're not, you're crazy. Y'all need to get something out of this deal. So, but that is a program. It's called Deputies Hunters and Deputies Feeding the Hungry. And it has worked. It continues to work. The people that receive the meat are, you know, it, it, most of them are not hunters. They're, a lot of them are elderly people that need a little assistance. If you're not able to be down at the jail at seven o'clock on Saturday morning, you call them and our deputies put coolers in the cruisers and they'll just mosey on out to the county break till you know them. I mean, this is how dedicated this is. There's no losers. The inmates, the farmers, the, the hunters, everybody gains on this. And it, it, it's a conservation effort. It keeps those numbers down. Does anybody have any questions? Anything you want to talk about? As you can tell, I'm I'm pretty wide open about anything that has to do with hunting in the outdoors or anything. And and if you've got a, anything, we'll just hash it out. Yes, we're we're hunters. How do you feel about the whole lady hunter and the pink camo thing? I'm just curious, your opinion on it. I thought I covered that. <laughs> I don't think much of it. <laughs> okay. We're all, okay. We're all hunters here. Uh, yeah. yeah, we are. I don't know where they come up with this pink stuff, but I refused. And, you know, you, I used to kind of like pink in, you know, dress clothes and stuff. It turned me so far against it that I would just, I'd just gag whenever I'd go out there. And I would see all this dressed up in this pink camel. I thought, what in this world? It, it, it was almost a put down to me. It was like, no, I'm serious. It, no, I am general. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> if you don't want to know the answer, just don't ask me. <laughs> I don't want to step on anybody's toes. You may, you may own the pink camo factory, but I'm sorry. Not at all. Okay. It just ain't it. Anybody else? Anybody have a better understanding of why you hunt now? Well, you challenge me. I, I want you to think, yeah, yeah, because nobody is going to give you the yeah. chance to give you a two-hour sermon. Um, it's like well, I have to tell you, I work at a, a high-stress organization. I work for the military, non-military, I work for the military, and we have a lot of staff meetings. And after a while, when the stress really gets bad, they all have kind of learned that I'm a hunter. And uh, every once in a while, I. Yeah, that NWTF Maryland yeah, State yeah, yeah. chapter would probably be the first tip off. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't wear this one. <laughs> but I'll say, you know, sometimes I say I'll take a, a week off. They go, oh, you're going to go kill something. I say, yeah. <laughs> Just My husband tells me, 
you get it off and graft you around here, you better go shoot something. Exactly, <laughs> exactly what I said. And that's not why sometimes it is. It's not. But yeah, and sometimes he'll say, you need to go ride your horse or bush all the while. And that, that does help. All right, I hope that you enjoyed this seminar with Brenda Valentine, and I hope it's gotten the wheels turning in your head, because it might not be over the holidays. It might be tomorrow that someone asks you why you hunt, and they may not be asking as a lead-in for an attack against you. They may just truly be curious. Why do you hunt? So hopefully all of this today gives you a little bit more reason to really dig deeper into why you hunt and will give you an idea of the best way to answer that question when someone asks. So before I cut you loose today, I'm going to ask you for a favor. The favor of the week this week is to share via text message and the share button on your podcast player application this week's episode with a couple of hunting buddies. It's really easy to do. Just find the share button in your podcast player application. Click on that. Click on your messaging icon and choose a couple of friends from your contact list to forward the link to this week's show to them. I'd be very appreciative if you would do that. And I've got to say, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.